and Compliance Life has dealt with the journey to and sometimes from the CCO chair. In this month's episode, I take things on a little bit different path by talking to someone who's been in the compliance trenches for nearly 20 years. My guest this month is Joya Williams. Joy began life as a legal secretary, later became a paralegal, and then moved into compliance. Since 2002 or so, she's been in the compliance field, literally on the front lines in the compliance department at several major energy companies in Houston. I know you'll enjoy this month's episode of The Compliance Life. In part two, Joya continues her journey in compliance. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and they'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again on The Compliance Life, where we explore the compliance journey of someone. Over this month, we're talking with uh, my good friend and colleague, Joya Williams. First of all, Joya, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be back. So, Joya, um, you transitioned over to, uh, well, we left uh, at the end of the last episode. You were at Baker Hughes and just handed at you moving, and you moved over to Weatherford. So uh, could you tell us what your role was uh, at Weatherford and what maybe additional skills you added to your toolkit by moving over? Absolutely, Tom. Uh, When I joined Weatherford uh, in 2009, I joined as an ethics and compliance paralegal. And some of my tasks included preparing quarterly reports, uh, monitoring, tracking, and coordinating global activities. Uh, working with regional council. Um, Also, I conducted due diligence on third-party intermediaries, which at that time, Weatherford had thousands of intermediaries at that time, and uh, we were, um, that was one of the big tasks was to uh, get all of those third parties um, vetted. And I also worked uh, sometimes with the mergers and acquisition teams, working on joint ventures and other commercial uh, activities. Um, In addition, uh, some of my daily tasks included managing online and in-person training for all of the employees and for the third parties globally. Uh, Weatherford had at that time about 40, over 40,000 employees. Uh, Also, Every year, we rolled out our annual code of conduct questionnaire, and I was also responsible for investigating any of the code of conduct inquiries that came in, um, either by you know known employees or they came in anonymously. And I would work with those reporters and responders and recommend re- remediation you know, actions, you know, as long as they aligned with the industry and best practices uh, of Weatherford. 
uh, I also worked with um, Natalia Shahada starting a FCPA review committee. And this review committee met uh, monthly and what we did, we I coordinated the meetings and the minutes and, and I managed the record keeping for all of the global activities and initiatives with uh, FCPA and due, due diligence and that were related to trade compliance. Um, in addition to working with the FCPA review committee, I also reviewed contracts, handled third-party screenings, uh, looking for anti-bribery and corruption and, and findings, and also mitigated risk as well. Uh, also, while I was at Weatherford, uh, I also completed my bachelor's degree in business management, attending the University of Phoenix at night. Um, so I was a busy bee at work and also striving to learn more and do more. And Weatherford afforded me that opportunity to, to learn more about compliance, uh, especially in trade controls. That was an area that I had no experience in at all. And I can say that Natalia Shahada was a great teacher uh, in that area of compliance. Uh, two other persons that I work with there, uh, I have to give kudos to Billy Jacobson and Adrian Mabane. They were uh, very instrumental in making sure that I was equipped with the proper tools, the proper trainings uh, necessary to maintain uh, excellent performance in my job while at Weatherford. So there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I want to ask you to start, though, you talked to us in a prior episode about what it was like at Baker Hughes really when you guys were in it and uh, in an investigation under uh, uh, DPA and a lot of eyeballs on the compliance function, a lot of pressure on compliance, and then you go over to Weatherford. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but the thing I guess I got from you about your Baker experience was really the esprit de corps that the compliance team had. And you talked about working with the lawyers, you talked about working with outside counsel, and really everybody pitching in to, to at the end of the day, receive a superior result. So you go over to Weatherford, and, and they're in it too. And uh, they, uh, I've talked to Billy, I've talked to Natalia, um, and they talk about those days, sometimes fondly, sometimes with a, a bit of a quizzical look. But uh, did you have that same experience where you really were working with some talented people? You knew you were, you were being watched. You knew you were under, under a scrutiny, and uh, you were really able to achieve what at the end of the day was once again a superior result because of the spade work that you and, and everyone in the compliance function and legal function at Weatherford did? Oh, absolutely, Tom. Um, everyone we worked with was, you know, they were just top-notch, and, and, and they had the knowledge, they had the background, and the know-how um, to get things done. And it, was, it wasn't as, um, or maybe I had just survived Baker, so Weatherford was... was um, <laughs> wasn't as, as, as I can't say as bad, uh, because a bad is not the proper term to use, but, um, Weatherford wasn't as, um, challenging, I would say, as, as when I worked for Baker. And maybe that was because I didn't have the compliance background that I had, um, 
you know, when I came over to Weatherford, I had that compliance background and experience and, you know, learning under Jay Martin um, and John Freeman, Dan Chapman, all those great guys, learning, you know, everything that I could and carrying that knowledge over to Weatherford. The struggle didn't seem so hard. But like I said, we had great people uh, in place there with the knowledge to carry the department once again to superior ratings. And I was proud to be a part of that team. Uh, one of the things that I think I've learned about you, Joya, is that you're endlessly curious. You've talked to us about getting a paralegal certification, for instance. Uh, you've talked about getting compliance certifications. And now you've told us about getting a bachelor's. A degree. And um, so it strikes me, one, you're just endlessly curious, but two, also you're really working to improve your own educational background and then apply it uh, to the work setting. So I was wondering if you might give a few words about um, why you think it's important to continue your education uh, even while you're working really at a high level at a company like a Baker or like a Weatherford. Sure, Tom. Um, as I was working and, and growing and developing uh, individually, personally, uh, I also wanted to grow professionally. And I saw the opportunities that were out there for me. And in order for those doors to open, there were certain things that I had to have uh, in order to be afforded those opportunities. And I had started my college career uh, early on in the in my life, right out of high school. As a matter of fact, I was at University of Houston doing the five slamma jamma days, which is probably why I didn't finish. <laughs> I was too busy celebrating with the basketball team. But um, and then life, you know, their life happens, and and I knew I always wanted to finish, you know, getting my bachelor's degree. So it was time, and uh, I had completed my associate's degree in paralegal studies and. And I had the opportunity to attend school at night. So why not just go ahead and do it and get that degree so you can move into other roles and continue to develop your career and, and you know, reach the goals that you want to in life. So that's that's why I took on uh, going to school at night and finishing my, my degree in business management. Uh, you uh, later moved from Weatherford to Transocean. And once again, yes. you stepped into a challenging situation. But I was wondering, what was your role at Transocean? Yes, I left Weatherford to join, once again, some former Baker Hughes colleagues at Transocean. Uh, this was right after the oil spill uh, to work under the leadership of Mike Monroe, who was chief compliance officer at that time. Uh, my role at Transocean, I was a senior paralegal, uh, also called a legal compliance specialist. And I uh, was responsible for contributing to the structuring and managing all the aspects of the legal global, it was a global program at Transocean, of course, the legal compliance and ethics program and the training curriculum uh, while we were working also to comply with the DPA and uh, DOJ, which was challenging. Uh, I also was responsible for managing and monitoring uh, the vetting procedures and client screening activities for the global program, uh, which was known as the uh, KYC, Know Your Client, and also uh, the sanction screening process. 
And in addition to those responsibilities, Tom, I got to partner with uh, the global HR, the global HSCE, the internal audit, and other stakeholder, stakeholders to help me uh, manage some of the internal investigations that came in and also the helpline investigations that came in and any other uh, matters that may have rose uh, because of the code of conduct um, that we uh, questionnaire that we sent out every year as well. Uh, I also assisted with the um, training uh, for the uh, entire global company uh, at Transocean and what Mike wanted to do, and this was the first experience for me, was make sure that the training was culturally tailored so it would be comprehensive for all employees. And that was something new to me and, and I was excited about that and I thought, hmm, what a touch uh, to think, you know, that you have to be able to, if you want people to speak up, you've got to be able to reach out to them in their various language and their various cultures so they can understand the importance of compliance and being ethical in the company. Uh, in addition to uh, working in training in the helpline, uh, we also launched a SharePoint database for the first time at Transocean to manage the global due diligence process. And um, one of the big challenges that we had was preparing the global reports and the uh, internal and external communications for senior management. Working on the whistleblower hotline at Weatherford. And you talked about doing uh, something similar at Transocean in terms of hotlines, whistleblowers, and really creating a speak up culture. I was wondering if you could give sort of your thoughts as to the importance of, of number one, having a, really not just a whist hotline, whistleblower system, but really that speak up culture where people feel like they can raise their hand and ask a question. Yes, Tom, I am very passionate about creating a speak up culture. That is one thing um, that I am always, you know, when, I, when I'm at a company, I make it known to my superiors that if there's an opportunity uh, for me to go out and, and um, uh, encourage people to speak up. I'd like to be on that campaign. I feel like it's very important for people to feel comfortable about speaking up. If you see something, say something. You've got to, but you have to create that level of comfort between the employees and ethics and compliance. I've learned throughout my years of working in ethics and compliance as a paralegal that a lot of times people just don't want to talk to an attorney. Or they don't like attorneys. They don't trust attorneys. And they want to speak to someone who they feel uh, is on their same level and they can communicate with and not feel intimidated by or infuriated by. Or, you know, someone that's going to put them in a, in a position to make them feel uncomfortable. And a lot of times I have learned from my experience of working with the helpline and the, the hotlines and just handling investigations that come in, that people feel comfortable talking to me. And I try to create that level of comfort with whoever I talk to uh, when they 
uh, submit a report. I think it's very important to establish that because when they're comfortable and they, they feel like they can trust you, and I believe you'll get more information out of the reporter. Work you did, actually, Mike is someone I've come to know over the past year. I really didn't know him, although obviously we're in the same profession in Houston for a long time. What was it like, maybe, how was Mike's style different than Billy's or some of the folks you worked with at uh, Weatherford? I can say Mike was very laid back. Um, I didn't work directly with Mike at Baker Hughes, but I knew he was a great person to work for uh, and work with based on uh, other colleagues who worked directly for Mike. And, but his style of um, practice, he had his own style, but he knew what he was talking about and, and he trusted us to get the work done, which, which was great. He knew that he had to have um, people in place with a certain level of knowledge of ethics and compliance and regulations and the laws and who were passionate about compliance to get the job done. And he brought in the people that he knew that he could trust to get the job done. He was very knowledgeable and um, I would say that he was very well respected at Transocean. I mean, when he got to Transocean, his hands were, were filled uh, with everything that was going on, but he quickly turned the program around and uh, created a, a, a star program at Transocean. And I am thankful for the opportunity to have worked with him and other colleagues uh, who also came from Baker Hughes to work for Mike Monroe. Well, Joanne, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us uh, for our next episode in The Compliance Life. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.